Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with one co-host this week. I'm Joe Lalo. And Andrea is getting her house ready to sell and getting ready to move. So we hope she hopefully she'll be back next week. But for, for this week, it's just the two of us. And um, Joe and I are going to talk about book marketing for introverts today. We kind of touched on this before in, a, in last fall in an interview with Sarah Painter, who uh, also talked about marketing as an introvert. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes in case you want to check that one out. But since Joe and I are both introverts, we thought we would give our take on this. And um, this is not a show on how to overcome your introversion and just get out there and, and do it. Screw that stuff. <laughs> I didn't become self-published, so I had to change myself. Um, but these are about things you can do that are kind of more in your wheelhouse if you're an introvert. And thank goodness for the internet, I will say. But um, also at the end, we'll kind of finish up with, we still had a few more questions from the Six Figure Authors Facebook group that we didn't get to last week. So we will get all that in there today. Before we jump into the main topic, Joe, do you have any news that you would like to share? Sure. Um, you know, my notes officially say that nothing much has changed since last week, but a considerable amount has changed this morning. So I'll, I'll read my notes and then add in the extra stuff. Uh, Greater Lands 2 is finished. That's the second of the uh, epic fantasies that I've been writing. I'm going to spend a couple days doing a revision, and then I will probably uh, wrap up the first one for release and pick a date for both of them, probably, because uh, the part two goes to the editor on June 1st. So um, they'll both be pretty much ready for release by the end of June. But I don't know exactly when the release dates will be yet. Um, I... Yeah. Okay. So I, at the time that I wrote my notes, I didn't have a cover for top level player, which is the the book I wrote that was essentially, uh, I don't want to say a parody, but heavily inspired by ready player one. This book was basically a gift to a friend of mine. Like I was originally not even going to sell it. It was just what I did for NaNoWriMo one year, but he insists that it'll be a giant hit. So I'm developing it, but prepare yourselves for this to be another one of those books I talk about not doing well. Uh, I couldn't find a cover artist for it uh, because it, it, it would be well served by pixel art in order to represent its content and catch the exact nostalgia hunters that it's aimed at. Uh, I thought that a video game style uh, visuals and it turns out pixel art is very hard to find, but I found one this morning or rather last night they replied to me this morning and it looks like it's going to happen. So uh, I will have that probably ready for release, ironically, around the same time as the first two books of the next series. And I've also got a collection of Patreon stories. It'll be ready to release around then. So if I was a complete maniac, I would just release four books in one week. I would, I will have the capacity to do so, but that would be very foolish. Um, Overall, uh, uh, like I, I had a complaint in here about how my my pipeline was all jumbled up and my brain was all tangled. And I was hoping to untangle all of that, but uh, between finishing the the first draft of the second book and uh, getting the cover done, the two big things that were a stumbling block uh, have been cleared. So I'm making good progress all of a sudden, and uh, and that's good news. Good progress is always a good thing. Uh, one of the masks I have for COVID is like a Space Invaders mask with the pixelated little monsters that you had to shoot back in the day. And that's now nice. how I'm imagining your cover with like little blobby aliens that are all the same size. <laughs> 
All right. For my news, nothing too big. I think I talked about last week. I'm about to get my second book in my epic fantasy series after my editor, and I've got the first 70,000 words written in three. I am going to put that series on pause for the summer and do a, just kind of a light project. I have family coming to stay for a month, which will be exciting because <laughs> I have not seen them for since the pandemic started. Um, but it also means I want to like actually take some time off and talk to them a little bit and do things. So I'm giving myself a light project, which you guys will laugh because I'm thinking it might be a trilogy. <laughs> Uh, but like one short books, like urban fantasy romance or something along those lines with each one, maybe like 60,000 words. So all three together would be less than book two in my epic fantasy series, which ended up at like 192,000 words. So that's about it for my news. I just, um, I don't necessarily recommend stopping and switching in the middle of a series, but since these books are so big that just my brain is like, ah, I really need to do something light and fluffy. I was actually going to do like a novel uh, in one of my existing series as a break, but even that just seemed like too daunting, like, cause I got to go back and reread the whole series to make sure I don't screw things up. So I'm just going to do something completely made up. I don't know. I'm thinking about werewolves. Never done werewolves. We'll see. All right, but let's jump into the main topic of book marketing for introverts. Uh, just as a reminder, I'm going to kind of briefly go over the differences between introversion and extroversion, just because some people get this mixed up uh, as having something to do with whether you can speak in public or whether you're socially awkward or socially comfortable or not. Uh, you know, it can have to do with those things. But these are, I'll just read these. These are descriptions from the Myers-Briggs site. I think it was like Carl Jung's definitions. But uh, extroversion, this might be you if you like getting your energy from active involvement in events and having a lot of different activities. You're excited when you're around people and you like to energize other people. You like moving into action and making things happen. You generally feel at home in the world. You often understand a problem better when you can talk about it and hear what others have to say. Introversion. This might be new if you like getting your energy from dealing with the ideas, pictures, memories, and reactions that are inside your head, in your inner world. You often prefer doing things alone or with one or two people you feel comfortable with. You take time to reflect so that you have a clear idea of what you'll be doing when you decide to act. Ideas are almost solid things for you. Sometimes you like the idea of something better than the real thing. Uh, so in short, I've heard, I've heard people describe it as extroverts get energy from interacting with other people while introverts get energy from being alone. And the opposite of that is just that you get introverts get tired, kind of, you know, takes energy from interacting with other people while introverts get, what did I say? I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about, Joe. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I know exactly what you're talking about. And like, sort of like you said during the intro, being an introvert, uh, is not a fault. It's not a flaw to be corrected. It's just the type of person that you are. Obviously, if you go to an extreme in, in either direction, then that's another issue. But generally speaking, you know, uh, I mean, if you just look at the description of introvert that was given, uh, it seems like it's a prerequisite to being an author. You're dealing with inner worlds and such. It makes me wonder how an extrovert actually enters the publishing world because it it it, it feels like. Uh, publishing and writing stories is uh, just a side effect of introversion. But I can say that uh, this presents, the way that this presents for me, like introversion for me, is that interacting socially is like working a muscle. Like I have to start exerting myself as soon as I start, uh, you know, I enter a group of people that's either unfamiliar or larger than I'm accustomed to. I mean, it could be family get-togethers, but once there's enough interaction required, I start, you know, feeling the the taxing nature of it. And, uh, 
if if you've ever encountered me at a convention or if you've ever been at a family function with me, you can usually spot the moments that I run out of stamina because I just sort of retreat into my head for a little while and I'm just sort of nodding and like not even looking directly in your eye. I'm just sort of like, okay. And then I will often, after whatever conversation is completed, find a quiet corner and just sort of regroup for a little bit. Uh, it's why extroverts and introverts can sometimes have troubles getting along because uh, if somebody needs social interaction to energize themselves as an extrovert does and they want to bring along their introverted friend, you come to a point where neither of them are particularly happy after a certain point because the extrovert's just getting started and the introvert really needs to take a break. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's useful to know what sort of person you are, what sort of person your friends are, uh, just so you can understand why you're behaving you the way you are in certain certain situations. Yeah, I think some of my favorite people to hang out with are extroverts because they, if you're hanging out with other people, they can just carry it. And you you make a witty comment now and then, and you're good. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I remember we both were at Nink in Florida a couple of years ago, and uh, you know what, like 8 p.m. would start being kind of like prime time where everybody's gathering at that tiki bar. And every night I was like, oh, there's nobody in the gym. This is amazing. I'm going to go do my workout at 8 p.m. every night. And it was like just having that hour with like nobody in there was awesome. And, and then I went back out and wandered a little bit. You feel you obligated to, uh, you know, do a little bit of that. It's like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to try to talk to some people. Um, but yeah, you're right in that. I think it's kind of tailor-made for write, the actual writing part. If you're an introvert, like you probably want to be alone and like sit there and write your story. And that's your happy time. That's certainly, I've talked about before how that's my happy. Those are my happiest days as an author is when I don't have to do anything on fans or email. I can just this day, just write my, whatever my word count goal for the day is. Um, but the challenges come with the marketing stuff, which is probably a little easier in general for extroverts. I think even online, uh, for me, it doesn't really matter whether it's online or offline. If it's dealing with people, it's dealing with people. So I find that, you know, interacting in Facebook groups or giving a talk over a Zoom call, that can be really as tiring some days, as challenging as doing the equivalent activities with people in person. So this can make networking hard unless it's kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing. And I also find it very difficult to go up and introduce myself to people. And I just, I'm really reluctant to do that. Uh, even if, you know, I've actually, I don't think I've ever done this sold books at a convention or anything like that where you have a table just that sounds like horrific to me <laughs> even though they are hopefully coming up to you because you have a cool banner or you know chocolate or something on your table to lure people over i still find it hard i find it i'm very uncomfortable talking about my books or like anything about myself so i love the internet you guys it's it makes things so much better i, I feel for authors that had to do all this before when going to the book signing at the walden books was the only way to to move a few copies um so and i can do these things but i you know they're taxing so i, I just want to retreat into my writing cave for a week afterwards i've also never done a book signing i don't think uh or a book reading which sounds even worse so it's, you know, and I find that it's very difficult when I am in situations like that at conventions to kind of be on and remember like, oh, you got to smile at people. You should emote. Your face should have like expression because my default is just kind of having a flat affect. And, you know, those, it's always guys. Sorry, Joe. It's always like, smile. You should smile. They like to tell girls to smile. I'm like, no, f you, dude. Oh, <laughs> okay. Bleep that out, Joe. <laughs> oh being a potty mouth tonight. This is how passionate I am about being an introvert. All right. Uh, Joe, do you have any experiences non-cussing kind with uh, 
being an introvert in marketing? I do. Uh, nobody tells me to smile. <laughs> they a, never do. True. It's always guys telling that to women, like, really, dude? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it wasn't until I was like, I, most of my peers and most of the, the my associates, when I do go to a convention or something like that, it's mostly women. And I get to uh, sort of see, I get, to, I get to observe at close range that the way that works. And it's kind of unfortunate. It has opened my eyes in certain regards. But um I've spoken in the past about how it can be argued that I wasted several major conventions just because I went there to passively absorb uh, what was displayed rather than to actively engage in it. I went to two different Book Expo Americas. I don't think Book Expo even happens anymore, but uh, Jacob Javits is where it took place, which is really very easily accessible from where I live. So I didn't even have to get a, a hotel or anything. So why not go? And uh, the place was literally swarming with publishing execs and distributor representatives and agents. Uh, One year, I even did the legwork. I even put in the effort to like, I I made business cards that had a QR code in the back so that you could, if you were interested in my free series starter, you could go there and get it. Uh, And then I went there surrounded by people. The book con happens at the same time. So it's a convention for readers. And I was surrounded by people who were just looking for free books. I could have literally dumped my pile uh, of of cards just on a table and they all would have went. Uh, and I managed to give away exactly three because I just couldn't get up the gumption to to interact with people directly. Uh, when I went to the Nebula conference a couple of years ago, I was surrounded by science fiction and fantasy peers. Uh, and I barely wrangled the gumption to talk to a dozen of them over the course of the entire convention. Uh, I was fortunate that the, uh, we used to run the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast and had just gone on hiatus before becoming this podcast. Uh, so a lot of the people there recognized me uh, from the podcast and they would approach me. And it is a lot easier when people approach you. It's not less taxing, but at least takes the challenge out. But if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have spoken to more than three people during that entire convention. Fortunately, one of them was William Gibson. So if you're going to ask for it, if you're going to, you're going to talk to anybody, talk to the person who's receiving like the Lifetime Achievement Award. But yeah, I, uh, uh, I have a really hard time making the most out of any sort of networking situation because above certain, uh, you know, populations, I just sort of can't function properly. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is the best kind of marketing that introverts can do that actually works. And, you know, we try not to just throw stuff out there, talk about things we actually do, then it moves the dial for us. Um, so perhaps obvious here, but anything you can do with no or minimal interaction with people online or offline is probably going to be right up your alley. Thanks to the internet, this is more plausible than it used to be, though, um, it's probably not surprising that a lot of introverts would still rather just hire someone to do everything marketing related. And I, I, I do see this. People get away with this. Usually it's once you've already found quite a bit of success and you can afford to like pay somebody to do that, that it might make sense to force things off. And at, at a certain point too, you're not, maybe not as worried about being you answering the email. Like I still feel like I want to be the person answering the email as much as I would love to possibly voice that off on somebody. I know that if I wrote one of my favorite authors and their assistant <laughs> emailed me back, I'd be like, eh, okay, that's kind of a bummer. So I, I try to, I'm not, haven't gone that route yet, but um, yeah. So first thing I wanted to talk about is that, and this will be no surprise for regular listeners, Free stories, free book ones in multiple, you know, putting them out there in multiple formats in multiple places. You know, you can serialize stuff on your website and try that if you want to. But I, 
if you don't already have an audience coming to your website, that's, it's going to be hard to build that up. Uh, you know, it takes time for a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, but putting them out there in the stores, if you can, where people are already browsing by the millions. And, you know, there's, I still get quite a few downloads of the free eBooks I have, even on things that I haven't advertised forever or at all because they're novellas or something that doesn't qualify for a lot of the advertising sites. Just from, you know, some I'm sure as readers going back and finding my backlist stuff, but I'm sure some are just new people. I, I just had a, um, bookbub ad on my first three, my bundle of my dragon blood series. And it was, I shared it on, uh, Facebook page. Why not? And quite like several people commented like, Oh yeah, that's how I originally found you was through that free box set, probably on a bookbub you ran years ago on that. And, um, you know, now they read everything I put out there. So I'm always happy to do the free thing. I think it's the easiest thing to do early on when, because some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, it's easier once you start to have some readers, but this is the kind of thing you can do to start to get readers. And I won't say that just making it free is going to move a lot of copies for you, you know, and we've talked about before, this should be like a free book one or a short story that ties into your series. Something with a link in the back to the actual paid books is the idea to get to turn the people that enjoy the free one into paying readers. But um, you can get relatively inexpensive promotions. I think I just did some with like BK Knights on Fiverr is still doing stuff for like $10 and, you know, usually moves it, you know, like a couple hundred copies of a download, at least in my genres and, you know, up to like thousands for BookBub if you could get them. Those are of course more challenging, but free books, see fussy library and those sites, not as expensive and can still get some free books. I, you know, I totally agree that probably doesn't work as well as it used to, I would say, especially maybe the last six to 12 months, I've seen a lower sell through on books that, you know, used to be a higher, <laughs> like yeah, you could count on it for being like at least 10% of the people that got the free one would go on to buy a book too. This last year, whether it's the pandemic or, you know, people feeling that money's tight or whatever, it hasn't been working as well, but it still works to some extent I, I find. And I also find that as a non marketing person, I find it much easier to like, Hey, here's this free thing you can check out versus like, Hey, could you, give me five bucks for this book, please. It just seems like much less of an ask. Like the most I'm wasting is their time. And then that's up to them if they want to download it and try it after checking out the blurb in the book. Uh, do you have thoughts on that before I move on, Joe? Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons that we always come back and, and recommend this, aside from the fact that it's it, it can literally be just a set and forget, like if you have a good enough cover and a good enough blurb, these can often sort of propel themselves uh, uh, once some initial momentum is given to them. But uh, this is a way that you're putting what is most unique and hopefully the thing that you're really selling. You're really selling your storytelling ability and your, and your voice. And this is one of the only ways to put sort of a, a measurable amount of that into the, into the eyes and, and into the head of your readers. And, oh, by the way, doing it in exactly the place where if they wanted to buy your stuff, they could just do it straight from there. Like, it, it really makes a tremendous amount of sense. And again, as introverts, it's not like we don't like telling stories. It's exactly what we want our job to be. We just don't like having to give people our stories to read necessarily. So just placing them someplace where they might already be looking for it. It's just, it's, it's a, uh, it's a no brainer. 
Right. And nothing really sells your stories like your stories. Like a lot of people will build up maybe extroverts, maybe not, you know, huge online personas and become popular with their nonfiction or their character that they've created of themselves, a persona on YouTube or whatever. But until you actually read their fiction, you don't know if you're a fan. It's like, it's fiction, fic, nonfiction, probably it works better, but fiction is a special thing. And, uh, People need to kind of read it before they know if they like what you have to give them. All right. Next thing that has worked for me, and I think the reason it's so popular is because so many of us writers are introverts and paying for ads is like the most introverted thing you could possibly do. And it doesn't even take that much time. It takes money, but you know, you can go in there these days, you can do the auto ads. You don't have to come up with any copy like on Amazon. You know, you don't have to come up with a graphics, anything, and you're just using your book cover. And the challenge is that so many people do it, that it, you have to pay bid quite a bit per click if you actually want to get a reasonable number of impressions and clicks and hopefully sales. And it's, you know, everybody's doing it right now. So it's challenging to make it work, especially with only one book, unless you're maybe doing nonfiction or something that you can price at $9.99 and get away with it because that field will uh, take the higher price books. But most indie authors are going $4.99 and less. So if you imagine paying like 50 or 75 cents a click for that and only one and eight or whatever ends up turning into a sale, you're losing money. So you kind of have to have this series in order to make this work. Um, but yeah, it's still worth playing with. I, rely on it a lot. Like I said, I like that it doesn't take much time. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm positive. It's the least good use of money. Like it's, I spend the most for the least return out of everything I do as an author that I bothered doing, doing with is, um, buying ads. <laughs> uh, what about you, Joe? Yeah, this is one where, and again, it's not, you know, super duper necessary necessarily. Uh, to to get good at ads, I've never been particularly good at ads, and I continue to have this as my job. But it is a skill that introverts and extroverts both have to have, and there's no particular, uh, you know, uh, you're not hamstrung at all by being introvert in when buying advertising. And uh, it's also one of the only things that really you can once you get some basic level of skill at it, you can reliably get a higher you know, response from shoveling more money into it. Like there's a lot of stuff you can shovel infinite amount of money into, and it's not necessarily going to get you more, but advertising, at least once you know how it works, you can be reasonably certain. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars a month on this stuff and I'm going to get X amount out of that. Whether or not it's all going to turn into sales is another matter, but it's a scalable thing. Uh, and, and a lot of the other stuff we're talking about isn't scalable. So it's, it's good to have it in your, uh, in your toolbox. Right. And the more books you have in a series and the more kind of related series you have or more stuff in the same genre, the more it can make sense because maybe you, you're spending a lot to get people into your book one, but then they read the rest of the series and then they go on. Hopefully they enjoy that and go read your backlist too. All right. Next one I have down here is just, and I actually have to remind myself to do this because it's not natural for me to like ask for people to do things or ask for favors. But you know, if you just ask your, readers to share your work, like with a note at the end of the book or do an easily shareable media, you know, social media post. I, I find that it's pretty easy to get, you know, even if I don't ask, if I'm doing something like a 99 cent box set, like a starter bundle of books one through three or free book, something that's a really good deal. 
um, that my readers will want to share these things because they want their friends to read it too, so they can talk about it. And obviously this one requires that you already have some readers who care about getting the word out. But once you do, you know, it makes it by making it easy and re- kind of nudging them and reminding them to ask you to, you know, ask them to share once in a while, you would be surprised at, at how effective that can be. I'm always, I've talked about this a few times before, but I'm always kind of pleased and amazed with how many people, when I do my, I'll do like a roundup, like what's free right now of my sci-fi and fantasy and, you know, Facebook posts with like six books or something. I'm always impressed by how many comments, how many likes and how many shares those posts gets, whether I ask or not, people just want to share. They're like these, I enjoy these books. You guys should check them out too. And that is the, you know, I talked about how advertising is the most expensive thing as far as like how many actual book sales you get from how much money you spend, you know, having people share sharing <laughs> word of mouth basically is the cheapest thing you know, it's essentially free. Uh, of course, you know, you want people to download those free books and you know, you've got back matter that leads them into the rest of the series. So you end up getting sales, not just downloads of your free books, but yeah, once you get some readers and once you've got some fans, uh, make sure to ask. Yeah. And, and even if you don't already have fans, like if you're using the free, the free giveaway, like we mentioned earlier, uh, we I mentioned in the previous episode about um, back matter is super important, and uh, your back matter is going to have at least one call to action. You're going to ask your your readers who just finished your book to do at least one thing, and that one thing could be, hey, just spread the word. You know, um, it probably will be hard to measure how effective that is, and there's probably better calls to action. But requesting word of mouth is just as valid as anything else, and it doesn't cost the person anything so whereas it might it, it might not be uh, you know immediate return on investment calculable uh it's just as likely to occur as a sign up onto a newsletter or anything like that you just have to we- measure whether or not you're hoping you know how effective you think that'll be and weighing that against the alternatives like newsletters and whatnot all right. So the next one is not going to be for everybody, but I've certainly gotten something out of like, when I first started, I was blogging a lot that and then I switched over to podcasting a few years ago with our first podcast. And now this one, I have the started the YouTube channel, which is basically mostly for my audiobooks. I, there are some videos on me talking to the camera and interviewing people, but what makes money and what gets a lot of views are the audiobooks. So, and then also the Facebook page is another thing that seems to have been worth it for me. But if there's something out there that's building, a, you know, building up a platform is what they call that, right? But if you pick one, if because it calls to you, like it's really hard to do this stuff if you just have zero interest. But if you already, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts or if you already watch a lot of YouTube videos and you're kind of a fan of other people's content in that medium and you're very slightly thinking, well, maybe, maybe I could do something. You know, this is the kind of thing that you can do and can start. And if you do it regularly, it can bring in an audience. Now, whether you bring in a fiction audience is going to depend if like what me posting the audiobooks of my fiction on YouTube has absolutely sold audiobooks for me at ACX and, and the other stores. Um, me posting videos for my lit readers is more like something for the existing readers and they've enjoyed it, but not anything that's like gone viral and spread and brought in new readers. Uh, you know, I've done some behind the scenes and that kind of things. Us doing this podcast, this is kind of a way for us to, this is kind of how we network with other authors without ever actually talking to other authors, except, you know, we pop into the Facebook group. And uh, like Joe said, we've met some of you guys at conferences and, you know, you 
you start to become friends with people, but you didn't ever have to go up and become the one to initiate it, which as we've talked about is hard as an introvert. Um, but because people will like recognize your voice when they hear you at a conference, they'll come over and say hi. And it's like, it's like, I don't know. I think Joe feels the way, same way. We don't mind talking to people. It's just like that pressure to like try to start something. So if somebody else comes up, especially at like an offer conference where you already have you know, you can always ask, what's your genre? What do you write? Like you have a common interest. It's pretty easy to have a conversation with people, but it ends up being kind of a way of networking. Uh, you're also out there. If you get enough people watching, you know, you might get some contacts in the, you know, at the various stores or distributors, uh, you know, especially if you kind of combine that with going to the conferences and you can get, uh, if you learn just a teeny bit about search engine optimization, you know, whether it's a blog, YouTube videos, you just learn how to use the keywords that can start bringing you extra traffic. People who may become readers or may reach out to you, you know, want to do a group promo or something like that. You know, I, I found it worth continuing to do even with like things like this podcast that aren't directly about selling my books. Um, so that is something you could consider whether, you know, I think blogging can still be a thing too. If, if you're more into the written thing than uh, doing video or, you know, podcasting. And I feel like most people think, Oh, you do a podcast or you do a YouTube videos. That's, that's not an introvert thing. That's an extrovert thing. You must be an extrovert, but I feel like every podcaster I know is like, Oh no, I'm an introvert <laughs> because you're sitting alone in your room. <laughs> You know, maybe you have a co-host, maybe you're just doing it by yourself. It's really a pretty introverty thing to do. Um, responding to comments, that kind of thing, maybe a little more, that's kind of more engaging with other people, but you don't really need to worry about that until you get a lot of listeners. There's not going to be that many comments in the beginning. So don't even sweat it. And if it really stresses you out, like on a blog, you can turn off comments. You know, most people won't recommend that. I think you can do that on YouTube too, but that is an option if that's something that just stresses you out, having to look at that and deal with it. Or you can be like me and just ignore it for two months. And then you go in like after a book launch or something like, oh yeah, let me go ahead and respond to these now two months later. That's perhaps not ideal. But what do you think, Joe? I've dragged you into podcasting and I know you've got some audiobooks on YouTube now. How's it going? Uh, I, this stuff can be really effective and really effective in different ways. Like uh, as, as you said, uh, once you start getting yourself out there with any sort of following on uh, a, a pod, anything that put your face out there, you're going to get recognized if you go to a convention. Uh, and again, super useful to break the ice. Like the ice is automatically broken. And also it's useful to point out, like, again, you would think that podcasting or YouTubing or anything like that would, it seems like it's extroverted because you're, you know, seeking the attention of others, but it's a social interaction that follows a precise formula. And it's just, it's a whole lot more comfortable when like, we have a list of questions we're going to ask and, and occasionally we'll have somebody on the show who gets those questions and, uh, you know, before we, we ask them, like they requested ahead of time, everyone is prepared. There's no pressure. So you can construct the situation. They'll do that. But again, and as, as you said, you had to be mindful of what sort of following you're going to end up with, because it's rare to do any of this stuff that leads to you selling more fiction directly as a result, unless you're telling stories like again you put your your audiobooks on there i've got audiobooks on there they've also sold uh my other stuff um you're probably going to start attracting people who are interested in the stuff you're talking about and it's kind of hard like they exist there's youtubers who talk about fiction all the time but they're probably not selling their own fiction it's just it's a thing to help you grow an audience 
but you have to be mindful that that audience is probably not directly going to lead to sales. Though we do have listeners who have told me they've purchased my books. So appreciate that, guys. Joe Likewise. appreciates it too. I think you have some people, we have some people who have purchased the Pizza Dragon book even. Yeah. Those are the good fans right there. All right. One more for me. And, you know, this is maybe kind of obvious, but by writing in your actual fiction, you know, some of the marketing is easier depending on if you wrote something that, uh, like if you have a unique point of view that comes out in your work, you know, your voice or, or something you always do that's uh, something you really enjoy, you know, whether that's dialogue that you become known for doing witty banter or, you know, fight scenes that you're amazing at, or maybe you write plots with like mysteries and twists that nobody sees coming. If there's something unique about your work that kind of draws other people that also find it unique, they're just, you know, it comes back to getting word of mouth. People are a lot more likely to share your work if it gives them something that they've kind of struggled to find elsewhere. And some of that's going to be chance, but I think it's a, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about writing to market. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're just creating carbon copies of the stuff that's already out there. Even if you're writing like the tropey thing, like I, I don't know if werewolves are still in, probably not because as soon as I do something, it's like, Oh yeah, that was so three years ago. Um, but you know, doing it your own way, you know, is going to give it a unique twist. And the, the readers that find you and that really like that thing you do that they have a hard time finding elsewhere, they're more likely to share your books with other people like them. So you kind of get, I don't want to call it cult following, but a following of people who are like, super loyal. Whereas, you know, the books that are, I mean, I'm sure you've read lots of stuff where it's like, they were fine. You know, you finished them, but they were really forgettable. It's just like, Oh, another cozy mystery that, you know, cat solved the crime again. You know, <laughs> But if the hamster solved the crime, well, you might remember that, but <laughs> you guys, you get the, the idea. It's like, don't, you know, even if you're writing to market, keep your individual self in it and try to draw on the things that are really make you unique. Um, you know, cause it's the kind of stuff that people, they connect with that and they, they want to share it. I think this is particularly uh, useful when you are like Lindsay or I, and you write multiple genres because lots of readers are only interested in the genre that they like best. But uh, if you develop a following uh, with your fantasy stuff, and then you start writing sci-fi stuff, some of the fantasy folks are going to hop over and they're going to be like, Oh, well, this is still a Lindsay Broker book. This is still a Joe Lalo book. I like Joe Lalo's writing, so I like this too. So you you sort of, if you are writing in your genuine voice and you're writing stories that you want to tell, if you're writing a story because you couldn't find any stories that were like that, then chances are you're going to encounter at least a few people for whom that's the case, and those people are going to become very enthusiastic and loyal fans. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing to work on and try to focus on. And now we go into my suggestions. So uh, I'm gonna, I want to generalize one thing uh, that Lindsay said, and it's just well, well, a few things Lindsay said, and that's anything that allows you to gather your thoughts and edit yourself uh, before you release it to the world tends to feel a lot more tolerable. For me, that's absolutely the case. It's far less daunting when I'm able to put together my thoughts, uh, not necessarily create a script to record or anything like that, but just... I'm aware of the of the borders of the interaction and and have that all beforehand. And if I make a mistake, I can go back and fix it. One of the things that we do in the pre-flight interview, the the, the, the pre you know the, the the checklist before we do this uh, we do this podcast, is I point out to people that it is no longer live. The old one had a period when it was live, and just knowing that if something goes wrong, you can sort of take a moment to fix it. 
everybody's more comfortable. So just anytime you can, you can do a version of an extroverted thing that allows you to edit and prepare, you're going to find a lot more accessible, uh, to an, uh, an introvert. All right. I, will, I don't really have a comment on that because you were commenting on my stuff. Yeah. So I'll let you go of. on to the next one and then I'll All comment. Right. <laughs> so scheduling. Um, scheduling things to go out on their own is another way to add a level of abstraction and calm your introverted nerves. Uh, it, it not only means you can take the time to prepare it, like I said previously, but you can prepare yourself for the eventual need to give feedback or the wave of interaction that comes. Like, uh, you don't have to immediately face this. Not only are you faced with producing the content, but then immediately having to respond to the, you know, the flow of content back. If you were able to schedule, you'd be like, all right, well, that, you know, that blog post goes out on Monday. There's going to be comments to that. It just sort of allows you to separate the two challenging parts, uh, into two separate pieces. And I find that incredibly helpful too. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm as much of a scheduler, but I will, what I do do is that I sometimes on writing days, I try to make it just a writing day. And then I kind of have it planned in my head, like, Oh, I'm finishing that project. Saturday is going to be an admin day. And I don't know something about that. I'm like, I'm preparing myself for like, okay, I got to answer a bunch of emails. And, or if you just have a day where you're kind of like, I don't know, you had a good workout or something and you're feeling up, maybe that's the good time to tackle the more extroverted things. So, cause there are some days where I'm just like, no, nope, can't, can't open the email. Can't, can't do it today. I'm just going to go in my little writing cave and write. And I'm always grateful that I, this job <laughs> does allow for that. So that's awesome. Another thing that's, uh, and I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but uh, if you can seed a conversation rather than having a conversation, this is for people who sort of already have a community. But uh, once you, you've got that community started, getting the community to keep its own social engagement up rather than putting the onus on you to do so uh, can really, really take a lot of, a lot of pressure off. So you'll just sort of your, instead of having a post where you invite people to have a conversation with you, you can just have a post where you invite people to have a conversation with each other. You'll say, Hey, tell me your favorite scene from such and such a series. Maybe, maybe it's your series. Maybe it's something iconic in your genre. And then the comments fill with people talking about stuff they're enthusiastic about. Uh, you're going to want to sculpt this such that you're, 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 there's not going to be too much uh, unpleasantness or rivalry that occurs. So you'll, you'll, you'll start to understand what, what things you should and shouldn't be seeding conversations about. But inviting people to fill the space with their own words so that a conversation can go on and keep going on that you don't necessarily have to have any more involvement than once it started can be a way to give sort of the illusion of fan interaction when you feel like you can't do it personally. Yeah, Facebook is really good for this too, and possibly some of the other social media stuff where if you ask questions and get them, you'll, you actually get more visibility on your posts if, if it got a lot of people giving feedback. And yeah, I've certainly had things where people comment back and forth to each other with, you know, nested comments within the comment. That's always nice. And this kind of goes back to doing the podcast or something like being a content provider versus just being somebody who comments on other people's blogs or their tweets or their Facebook posts. Like, I feel like when people start networking, that's what they think they have to do. They have to go out and comment to other people. But, you know, you're probably one of 50 people that commented to that person that day. They're probably not going to remember you. Whereas you, if you consistently are putting out things, you know, whether it's your fiction, you're trying to feel just a fan that base that way, or if you're doing your novels, but you're also 
whatever, doing book reviews or, or whatever kind of content provider you decide to come. We have a lot of people in the author community that talk about writing and marketing and blogging and things like that. So that's fine too. Um, but yeah, then you become a source and you end up getting quoted and, and tweeted and shared and, and that kind of thing more so than like, you're never really going to, there's nothing wrong with commenting to other people. <laughs> if you, you know, something scrolls by and you're like, Oh, I have an opinion on that. Great. But, uh, by being the person that starts the conversation, you know, and encourages other people, you're kind of getting more traction than just by being somebody else. It's like, Oh, me too, me too. And, and commenting that way. All right. And this last one is, is a little strange and can be very small or more complex, depending on how you want to take it. Um, it really helps a lot of people though. And that's interacting in the third person. Like obviously for on social media or something like that, it might be a little weird in certain circumstances, but if you, if you are responding to people like as though someone is transcribing your words, I, I deal with a lot of artists and a lot of them feel awkward putting themselves out there and building a brand around themselves. So they'll just sort of have a dedicated character, not even, not even necessarily a character like being performed, but just something that represents them. And it adds a layer of abstraction so that they just sort of, when people respond, they're not responding to you. They're responding to whoever, like this representative, you can literally just pretend to be your own uh, assistant if you need to just anything that sort of places one layer of additional separation between you and, and, and the people talking to you can really take a little bit of the pressure off because you can at least convince yourself, well, I don't have to do that much. I don't have to do too bad because they're not really talking to or about me. They're talking to or about this, this other representative or avatar. Uh, it's impressively effective. And again, I've written bios that I had to share for someone else and uh, where I've been part of a, a panel or something like that. And every other panel bio was written in the first person. I am this, I am that. And mine was Joseph Lalo is blah, 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 blah. Just because it feels a little bit more, you know, safe that, oh, this is some sort of a nonfiction description as opposed to Joe talking himself up. This would be especially easy for people who have a pen name. That would be pretty natural to like adopt a persona that's uh, not you. You are making me think of all those Twitter pages that are people's dogs that are, <laughs> and they seem to get pretty good followings. The dogs are naturally popular. So maybe uh, your cat can be your uh, PR person if you need it. Um, okay. So just a couple more things that are a little more challenging and more extroverty. They involve interacting with people, even if it is just on the internet, but are worth doing and still not as extroverty as like going to a convention and doing a book reading or <laughs> signing books and talking to people in person. But the newsletter, uh, we've talked lots about it on other shows. So just briefly why it's a good idea is that, you know, it's the kind of thing where once you start building a newsletter and we've talked about how you can get people on your newsletter by offering some sort of exclusive bonus thing that they have to sign up for <laughs> in order to get it, ideally of uh, something they really want, you know, extras about characters from the story they've been reading or, or whatever it is. But it, it keeps it from ever having to start at ground zero again on books, selling books. You know, even if you start in a new genre or something, you'll probably still get people that will follow you over. Um, but if you, whenever you start a new series, you're going to not want be at ground zero. It's really helpful to kind of get the ball rolling, even if you're planning to do ads and, and things like that. If you can have that, you know, even if it's just a couple hundred people, you know, that go out and buy your book on week one, that's a tremendous help. So definitely worth doing. I, every now and then I see someone, they're like, oh, I'm just not going to do a newsletter. The heck with that. Um, you should try 
it's not that extra rudy you can even not answer you, a lot of times i think readers don't expect a reply honestly because when i reply they're like oh i didn't think you'd reply or they'll, they'll reply with like i'm not sure if this is an address i can reply to you know and I, i'm tempted to be like yeah it's not actually no <laughs> no i i don't mind replying to them as long as i'm doing it on my day that is set aside for being extroverted and, and replying to things. It is the kind of thing that, again, if you did want to one day hire an assistant to, you know, foist it off on, you could. So if that helps, if you're thinking, oh, I just got to do this for like five years and then I'll be making enough and I'll be established that I can pay someone to take over this, whatever it is for you. Um, yeah. And one of the things about newsletters is, uh, obviously, you know, we've talked about if you can make your, if you can be genuine and have a unique voice, it's going to attract a lot more people, uh, and, and get more loyalty out of them. The newsletter is a, a thing that sort of people are accustomed to being sort of mechanical. So if you aren't comfortable putting yourself out there, even to that degree, you can do it in a very clinical sanitized way. Like people will take a perfectly informational newsletter, uh, it's one of the few interactions where you can do that. Uh, so again, if you are introverted, newsletter is a thing to that, that can still work very well for you. Right. I feel like there's always a lot of pressure to be like, be interesting with your newsletter, you know, tell a story, sell your book. And I'm like, uh, I'm just like, Hey, new release, here it is. And once you get a fan base, that's all they really care about anyway. Like they're happy to get a picture of you and your dog and stuff too. But I know a lot of people have admitted like, Oh, I just see the newsletter and I go buy the book. Like, they don't even necessarily open it or care what's in it. <laughs> All right. So another thing that can be worth doing is sort of like online group promotions, uh, especially early in your career when you're struggling to get readers. Banding together with other authors in your genre can be very powerful to do projects like free or paid multi-author box sets. Maybe you each put a book one in the box set and you all work together to, to promote it. Maybe it's 99 cents or even free. Um, anthologies, same kind of deal. You're leveraging everybody's mailing list and everybody's social media pages to kind of, you're getting out to their fans and they're getting to get out to your fans. And plus, just because you have so many people promoting it, you may get a lot of more organic sales to people checking it out just because hopefully it will kind of rank more highly in the store if it's on Amazon and, and those kind of stores are just, you know, there'll be more people seeing it on social media because you'll all be pushing it together. If that's intimidating, another thing I've seen work well is like just getting together like three authors. You each do a novella, like a, say you're doing sci-fi romance, you, you know, maybe you do a really tightly knit theme. So you'll get to attract the people that like, that's my kind of sci-fi romance, you know, and you each write that and, you know, hopefully it kind of will lead people into your other books too. But so you don't necessarily have to start with eight or 10 people. <laughs> if you just, you know, there's two other authors you've read and you really like, maybe propose it to them. And if nobody is asking you to do these things we've talked about before, then you have to be the person that <laughs> reaches out and starts it. And if you do that a couple of times, maybe in the future, other people will think about you when they're wanting to plan something like this. Yeah. And, and regarding, regarding the, the, the promos, uh, one of the ways you can sort of shift some of the extroversion to introversion is, uh, even if you aren't the person to put it together, uh, you can sort of volunteer to handle some of the technical aspects of it if you're able, uh, because running a promotion can be incredibly taxing. I have been on both sides. When, you know, I, I've run a bunch of story bundles where I had to go out and, and put those together, and there's a lot of legwork and a lot of conversation, and it can really wear you out. But if you can you know, handle book formatting, if you're the one actually putting together the book, 
or if you can do the graphics and stuff. That's a thing where you can basically take an assignment and then you sit aside and you do the thing and you get it done and you give it back out. And it's necessary and it serves the group and uh, it doesn't require too much legwork. So that's definitely a thing that you should keep in mind if you're doing group promotions. And my one addition in this area is uh, maintaining a, a beta reader group or, or street team. This is the kind of thing that's going to require, you know, some amount of extroversion. You're going to be talking to these people. But in, in you know, when you define the introvert, it's not that we don't like talking to everyone. Uh, there's usually a circle of people that we've become comfortable with. And it sort of doesn't, it's not taxing to talk to them, or at least it's far less taxing to talk to them. And if you have been around long enough, you've probably, like, I'm willing to bet, there's some of you who are listening right now who have those two or three fans like in your head who, oh, yeah, they email after every newsletter. And it's always kind of nice. Like there tends to be just a small group of people that you can uh, you can really not tax yourself and still interact with. And if you can keep a group of those people around, it can pay off in a huge way. Um, it could be a tiny subset of readers who just, you know, they, they they'll help you immensely. Uh, indirect marketing just by providing you with useful feedback to help you improve your book as beta readers or direct marketing by being the first people to, uh, to, uh, spread the word once the book is released, or maybe they'll give you feedback on blurbs and covers. It's basically having some peers or some fans who are familiar enough and, you know, interact with enough that you feel comfortable, uh, elevating the level of discourse to something that a more extroverted person would do with a whole group. And, uh, uh, it it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of time, but you have to be kind of established. But the the uh, the the return on investment is enormous. Plus, you end up with a couple of new friends, which is nice too. Right. I've uh, you know have good friends now that started out that way. They were just happened to be readers hanging out. Uh, I had a fan forum early on and that's how I met them. And, you know, they, since they beta read almost everything for me now, and, um, we've met in person and hung out together, but it's really nice to have that, uh, support group really of people who are kind of not really in the industry, you know, but they kind of understand the industry enough from listening to you rant to it <laughs> and they're happy to listen to you rant. Like it's really helpful to have some people that you can do that with. Every time I see somebody like self-destruct on social media, I'm like, they kind of needed some beta readers or somebody that they could just rant to about that one star review. And there's people that just didn't understand on Goodreads, you know, it's like, don't blow up just on your public Twitter account or your Facebook, you know, have a friend, have find somebody you can rant to so that you don't do that. Uh, so yeah, those people are great. If you can um, kind of cultivate that. And, and once people become friends, it's less, you know, like effort to be extroverted with friends, you know, you just, people that get to know you understand where you, you have to have your quiet time. And if you disappear for a couple of days, maybe then they're like, Hey, you're still alive. Um, but they're not going to be like those people that are, you know, especially when you're younger, I think you get those friends that are like, Hey, you didn't answer my text. I, it's been 10 minutes. You know, what's wrong with you? Why have you answered my text yet? Are you mad at me? You know, so these should be low drama people, ideally. All right. So I guess any final thoughts here on marketing as an introvert? Um, 
I would say the biggest thing, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, is to try to leverage kind of what the internet and the digital format offers us, which is kind of a, a way to get our people, our work into a lot of people's hands without selling one book at a time, which is what you have to do if you go out there in person to a convention or a book signing or that kind of thing. That's why it's very inefficient. You know, you're like, how each time, each person you have to talk to for several minutes and, and maybe they'll buy the book and maybe they won't versus, you know, try to think of things that you can do once that continue to get you like downloads or views each month, potentially new readers, bringing them into your, you know, your world. And maybe you have to like rejuvenate it now and then, like if it's, you know, you had a audiobook out there on YouTube for five years and nobody finds it anymore. You have to do something to you know, put out something new or you know, plug it, you know, start promoting it a little bit. Or if it's just a free book in the stores, you know, maybe you run a few promos to it, spend a little bit of money. But the things like that are things that you do once. You wrote the story once and it continues to, you know, bring in readers every month going, you know, from here on out. So that's just the kind of thing I like to do. I prefer that to things where it's kind of an ongoing hustle. Like each month you have to create a new thing in order, you know, or do a new campaign, new advertising campaign or new marketing campaign or whatever. I much prefer the things where you do it once and you continue to reap the benefits down the road. Yeah. And if you're an introvert, uh, something you need to realize that it's okay to take your time and pace yourself. Like when I was describing the, the way, the way it affects me, I'm fine once I get the few moments to myself. And if you feel yourself getting a tizzy, then take a few moments to yourself. Folks are willing to toot their own horn early and often and the, the extroverts that is, and, and they might have a promotional or advertising advantage because of that. But Quality is a force amplifier too. So if you can, if you can't handle reaching out directly and spending your time on networking, spend your time on something else that's going to help you down the line. You know, hone your ad copy or work on your blurbs or work on your actual book. You might not be able to hit social as frequently, but if you really work on your message, then you can hit social harder. And that's not to say that extroverts are putting out bad wares or they're you know they're they're not working on their products. It, but as long as you're not spending 100% of your private time fretting uh, over the next social interaction, you're going to be able to build other muscles to, comp to uh, compensate for the ones that are weak in terms of, uh, of uh, the extroverts are strong. So just spend your time wisely and, and pace yourself. Yeah, I would hazard a guess that most of the people who say that their way of marketing is just by writing quickly or predominantly by writing quickly and putting a lot of books out are probably introverts because that's the thing that suits them most is the writing and um, they're hoping that they don't have to do a lot of marketing. Uh, so we each have our own ways to do it. I, I mean, I don't know that uh, every person that writes a book a year is necessarily an extrovert, but I would kind of guess that people that are able to go in their little cave <laughs> and spend eight hours a day in there and write a lot of books, probably leaning introvert. So whatever you are, you know, just kind of be aware of it and figure out how to use it, your strengths to the most, you know, and we all, there's so many paths that can get you to success that, um, you don't have to necessarily feel like you have to do what one uh, certain person is doing. All right. We will finish up with a couple of questions, more questions from the group. I think uh, I gave you the first one, Joe. 
Yep. This one comes from Brandon. Uh, greetings, SFA crew. I'm wondering if anyone else has had trouble keeping a book perma-free on Amazon. I have submitted the request both by phone and email three times, and the ebook reverts back to 99 cents after a few weeks. I recently read that a free book on Kobo might not be persuasive enough for Amazon, so I also listed it on Google Play and used that in my next correspondence as Google's algorithms are a direct competitor to Amazon's. And I'll say uh, I've found that my books usually stay perma-free. Uh, occasionally, they'll revert and then revert back uh, for very briefly. And there are some international storefronts that just never price match, and I don't know why. But seldom do I have to intervene in order to keep my books perma-free. That said, I'm perma-free through Smashwords. So uh, that puts my book on Apple, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, etc. And I'm also on Google directly. So my books are as free in a lot of places. And so it's possible that the reason my books stay perma-free is because of how very easy it is to find a free version of my book if it's not perma-free. I have heard of this happening to a few people this year where it's just glitching back to 99 cents instead of free. I think there was somebody on Kboards who was talking about it happening right before a BookBub promotion, which is very unfortunate because uh, BookBub was just like, well, your book wasn't free there. So we didn't, we weren't able to include that in the, you know, the, the ad for that day. Um, but as far as just having it on Kobo, yeah, that would not be the one I would pick. Uh, Amazon.com is going to be looking at us stores as far as price matching and Kobo us is really small. So, uh, it would just make it, if, if, if there's no reason not to have your book free in all the stores, I would make it free in all the stores. But if you're like actually trying, like if you're doing book one, and then the rest of the series is in KU and exclusive and it's not available in other stores, maybe pick Apple as your one free one or Barnes and Noble because those are pretty big ones in the US. So it's really just Amazon's bots going out there and if they see it's free in the other stores and they'll price match it to free in their stores. Uh, you can email them, but right, like you said, they, if the bots don't continue to see that it's free elsewhere in the stores they actually check and care about, that might be why it would pop back. All right, next question is from Melissa. Hi guys, I want to ask about a possible emerging genre. I saw a book that has, that was being marketed to me that had a subtitle called midlife fantasy or something like that. Is this a new subgenre? I know Lindsay's characters are usually older, which I love. Thank you, Melissa. And I tend to write characters in their thirties and forties. I guess what I'm asking is, is midlife fantasy a thing and should I market my books that way? Uh, I was, my original answer was going to be no, uh, but I don't answer unless I, you know, I, I try to look up and a quick bit of research turned up that midlife fantasy, uh, it, first off, it's mostly directed at paranormal. So if your book is paranormal, then go for it. But the books that like sort of are hitting that genre uh, are doing very well. Unless at the time that I did my research, which was a couple of weeks ago, there was a major promotion going on and it's since cooled down it seems like while i have not heard of this niche uh it's not you know necessarily a bad idea so if your book fits then you might as well at the very least throw it in the keywords or in the description uh because there's clearly a market for it all right so i remember this about a year ago i think i i don't know any of the authors that were doing it but yeah there was like maybe eight authors that formed a Facebook group, uh, paranormal midlife. 
I don't want to say midlife crisis, but that's kind of how they all sounded in the blog. Everybody got divorced or something and was having to start over. But yeah, so they, they started this group with the intention, I assume, of like, yeah, let's work together and really promote this because maybe they saw that it was kind of an underserved niche. And I've seen, I've seen that too. And that's why a lot of my characters are older. I'm like, why are there so many 22 year olds saving the world right now or 18 year olds? Like, can we have some 40 year olds saving the world, please? Uh, so I, totally uh, relate to that. But um, yeah, so it was that particular group of people that were just killing it for a while. And there's a couple that still are that have put out like five books. And um, if you want to go stalk KF Breen, she'd be the one to stalk. I'm sure she doesn't listen to the podcast, but if she does, hey. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they had a couple of really heavy hitters in that group already. So, uh, you know, that of course probably helped. And the fact that they did it all work together to kind of promote, they all released them at like the same time. So basically they made a new, uh, sub genre in the fantasy genre and it worked really well for them. Uh, like I said, that was like a year ago and it's still there, you know, at least some of them I still see in the rankings selling really well, whether you want to actually like target that as a keyword, um, you could give it a shot. I would, you know, I would check something like KDP Rocket and see if people are actually searching for that or if it's just the fact that these particular books that they wrote and had a big fan base for already were just kind of doing really well because it, it, th- there was a market need for it. And the fact that they were able to put so much behind the launch and really get them rolling, it, it's hard to know if you would have success just by emulating them, but Hey, you can give it a shot. You know, and like I said, see if people are searching for that keyword or, or things similar to that. And maybe it's worth throwing it in your, you know, subtitle or, or description or your keywords, your seven keywords you get on there. Give it a shot. All right, Joe, uh, one more, looks like. All right. Yep. Last question here is from Mandy. Hello, all. I was wondering if anyone has thoughts about uh, BNN Press. Uh, I am set to publish my first book this fall, and I'm considering all avenues of self-publishing. All right. Yeah. BNN Press, they, they work fine for me. I actually go direct to them and have almost since the beginning, they were one of the first ones to start allowing, have like a self-publishing dashboard. Um, so yeah, the only ever problem I've ever had with them is like, for whatever reason, every few years, they're like, nah, this W2, no good anymore. And uh, it's not like an online entry. You got to actually mail one in. So I think there was about eight months where I didn't get paid by Barnes and Noble because I kept putting it off. This is the story of me having money stack up because of little things like that. But so that was the only, my only beef with them, but they have uh, reached out a couple of times and promoted my books and things. So it's another one where you know, like the distributors have, there's reasons to go with them, but sometimes if, uh, you know, like Barnes and Noble or Kobo are both pretty open to like working with authors, Apple seems to be a little harder unless you somehow get on their, their list. Uh, so you know, Barnes and Noble is probably worth it going direct. I think you have to be in the U S is the only thing with that one. So if you're not, then go through Smashwords or drafted digital. I personally use a distributor. I mentioned it earlier, Smashwords. Uh, they go to Barnes and Noble. Uh, there are benefits to going to direct though. We generally make more money in royalties because there's no middleman. So there's no, that, that bite is not taken out of your royalties. Uh, as a trade-off though, you're going to be publishing the book there individually rather than going through, you know, all the other stores at the same time through a distributor. So if you are the kind of person who adjusts your blurb or your cover or has to do corrections, uh, you're going to be doing that over and over again, as opposed to just doing it once and having it trickle out through the other ways. Likewise, price changes. Uh, that's the thing that actually I get tripped up sometimes. I'm only direct through 
Google. And sometimes Google is not involved in my price promotions because I will just forget that it does not automatically shift. So keep that in mind. But otherwise, yeah, there's no particular problem with going direct to Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble, uh, not so much anymore, but in the past had been my number two in terms of earnings. Yeah, they've fallen off for me, but I don't blame them so much as the fact that I've been releasing stuff exclusive with Amazon. So basically all of the other sites have fallen off and um, I still make money on the backlist stuff. But uh, the fact that I'm not releasing regularly in those stores anymore, I've certainly taken a hit on the income on those other stores. All right. I think that is it for our questions that we brought over from last one. And I guess we blabbed for about an hour. So we introverts managed to do, managed to do our job, I guess. Uh, any final thoughts, Joe? Uh, nope. I would say that I am taxed. <laughs> I've reached my limit. Yes. We must now retreat to our writing caves. Um, next week, I believe we have an interview for you. It's going to be pretty good on audiobooks with uh, Victoria from podium publishing. I don't know why I paused. They are my publisher. I should probably know their name. Um, but yeah, so that will be a good one all about the state of the industry and selling more audiobooks. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find the, uh, or thanks to Joshua Pearson for producing this show. You can find the show notes. And I think I had a couple links that I mentioned that I will put in there. Uh, sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. That's it. <laughs> you can tell I'm not reading it from the script. I need a script. We talked about that as introverts. Yep. All right. So long, everybody.